Mac Power Users, episode 403, Workflows with David underscore Smith. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you doing? I'm well, David. How are you? Good, good. I'm, I'm super excited about our guest this week. Before we get started, though, just a couple introductory points. Uh, first is, I just wanted to thank everyone. We've received so many kind wishes uh, after episode 400 aired. Uh, lots of emails and tweets and whatnot. And and thank you, everyone. It, it really, uh, it was really nice hearing all that great feedback. And uh, I also am hearing a lot of this feedback where people uh, want to call our bluff on this thing about doing something big for episode 500. I wasn't bluffing. I'm very serious. Yeah, okay. So we're hearing that from listeners as well. People are super excited about doing some kind of meetup or cruise or something, uh, it, write in if you've got ideas or if you if you know people that know people. More so if you're someone who can facilitate this. We want to hear from you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Because we, we got about a year and a half to start to really get serious about this. And um, if we're going to do it, let's get started now. Okay. Uh, our guest today is uh, someone that I met, finally met for the first time this year at WWDC. He was part of the Relay Commune. And um, and w- in my mind, the penultimate uh, lunch pail developer. Welcome to the show, David Smith. Thank you for having me. You know, David is a, a developer. He's got many apps in the App Store. Pedometer++, plus plus, Activity++, plus plus, workouts plus plus you like the plus plus right that's the thing yeah yeah it, it, it stuck the first time and it seemed to work so yeah well i mean it's not just plus it's plus and plus yeah. which is you know one plus better it's one plus better exactly and sleep plus plus which i use every night by the way i didn't tell you this but i'm a big fan of your apps um I, I, david is the guy you can see walking around wwdc wearing two or three apple watches because he does a lot of at least he yeah. does a lot of development with apple watch so he's got to be testing them out all the time and uh and then in addition to that you've got feed wrangler my recipe book audiobooks i mean like i said this guy ships and uh so that's one reason why you've always been on my list to come on the show but not only are you a really smart developer uh you're a podcaster you've got the under the radar show that you do with mark armand here on on relay and the thing i always am impressed with you is that you do all this stuff and it's just you. I mean, you're, you're the broom pusher and the president of the whole operation. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have someone who helps me with um, the accounting side of things and someone who helps me with the customer service side of things. Um, and but otherwise, like the actual day to day work, it's yeah, it's just me. Yeah. And I've always, like I said, uh, listening to some of your podcasts on Under the Radar and just kind of getting to know you over the years. Uh, you're a guy who's very thoughtful and deliberate about the way you do things. And uh, anybody out there, this isn't a show for app developers. It's a show for anybody out there that's running a business using Apple technology because David has some really great ideas. So so that's the goal today. We're going to talk about what you do as a developer, but also how you keep the wheels turning on all these businesses that you've got running. Before we start, though, I have a preliminary question. Sure. Now, you are known far and wide as David underscore Smith. I, I want to know what's the story with underscore. Sure. So, and I would say probably just as many people know me as underscore David Smith. I put the underscore at the beginning. Yeah. In fact, I was thinking I got the I got it wrong at the beginning of the show. Well, it it, I, it goes both way, just like any nickname kind of develops its uh, on its own. And it it's just like uh, when I first got on started Twitter with a name like David Smith, you as you imagine, it's fairly popular. 
Um, and so I was unable to become just, you know, David Smith on Twitter or anything close to that. Um, and so initially I think I put the one that I started with was the David Smith, um, which was available. But then after like a few days of that, that felt very pretentious. Yeah. It does, it does feel like you're, uh, you, you've got pretty big britches when you do yeah. that. And so, um, I could have, I guess I could have gone for a David Smith, which was probably a bit, a bit too weak or instead I. I discovered you could use uh, an underscore characters at the front, and so I just threw an underscore under there. And it's a bit of a programming joke. Um, in uh, Apple platforms, if you prefix a variable with an underscore, it's, it's like it's it's what Apple does with all their private stuff. Um, and so it was just a little bit of a side joke as well. And then um, it just sort of became this joke when people would read my name out uh, loud, they would pronounce the underscore rather than having it be silent. And then, I don't know, like with all nicknames, it just sort of stuck. And so now... There's a, you know, and a number of my friends who that's, that's how they refer to me. They don't call me David ever. It's just, I'm always underscore. So yeah. Underscores is just enough at this point. And, and interestingly, as I was preparing for the show, uh, I was working on, I said, well, I need to get David's website into the show notes. And so I just, I'm like, how am I going to find David Smith's website? Right. There's got to be a gazillion of them. So I typed in Google search, David underscore Smith. And guess what? It's all about you, baby. It's all you. And I'm I'm getting better with if you search for just David Smith. Um, like one of my life goals is to overtake. Uh, there was a sculptor I think who usually is the number one uh, hit for David Smith. So I'm gradually working my way up. I just need to you know get slightly more and more noteworthy. I suppose. Yeah, there, there's like a David Sparks photographer, and there's like a professor somewhere. I got to take those guys down at some point. I get that. It's like I'm like you. My name is common enough. Like I can never get like the Google email address for my my name stuff like that's always gone yeah well you know there's nothing wrong with being having a popular name yeah yeah and a certain degree of anonymity too that could be good you know if you ever get in trouble <laughs> yeah well uh though i have gone has gone the other way with me where i've gotten in trouble for other people's uh things like in high school there was another david smith at, at my high school at the same time and i got called to the principal's office um for stuff he did sometimes so that was not uh, ideal in that regard no he wasn't your twin was he because that that would be even worse yeah yeah no a, a year or two below uh below me at school but <laughs> a, bit, a bit more of a troublemaker when i got my my bar results there was a um there was a guy in my school also named david sparks and back in those days you would call in there was no internet <laughs> you'd call a phone number and they're like, oh, and I was getting married like three weeks after the results came in. So I, I was under a fair degree of pressure and I was probably going to lose my job if I failed the bar. So, so I had a lot of good reasons to want to pass. And they're like, oh, you failed. Sorry. And then I said, well, was it, you know, I used the middle initial. I says it because I knew the other guy's middle initial. Is it my middle initial or the other guy's middle initial? And they're like, oh, it's the other guy. And I'm like, oh, okay. What about my middle initial? And they're like, oh, you passed. I'm like, thank you. Now I need therapy, but yeah. thank you. You got you got to experience both sides of how you would have felt. I suppose. Yes, yes. I'm still uh, picking up the puddle of goo. All right, uh, but before we get into all the the cool geeky stuff you're doing, uh, David, let's talk a little bit about the hardware that you're driving to uh, to make all this work. So, so first and foremost, you're a developer. So I'd imagine you've got a pretty powerful Mac somewhere in your uh, in your uh, office. Yeah. So my primary, I've. It, it, my setup has definitely evolved over the years, um, but I've been on the same. The setup I have now is the same one I've had for probably at least three or four years. And so my main machine is a 27 inch Retina iMac. Um, I think the model I have now is two years old or so, um, and that is my like my 
99% of my job happens at the desk I'm sitting at right now for typing on, you know, the Mac I'm in front of right now. Like that's, I found that that works best for me. I used to do the thing where I had an external, I had like a MacBook Pro that I would plug into a monitor. Um, I've tried all kinds of various permutations, but I found that because I work from home the vast majority of the time, having just an iMac that's as fast as I can get it. Like it's, it was, you know, two years ago, it was as, you know, I did, didn't turn, you know, when, when you're going through the configurator, it was just everything I could because that's where I do my job. And so that's where I do most of my work. Um, and then I have a, a 12 inch MacBook as my travel development machine. So when I go to something like WWDC or a conference or a business trip, or something like that. I always take it with me, and honestly, probably too. Whenever I'm going on vacation, I, I like um, taking it with me just because being a, a one man shop. Like if something breaks um, and I'm on vacation, it's no one else is going to fix it. So um, I usually I love the MacBook for that because I can put it in my luggage, and I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't add much to it. You know, you almost forget that it's in there. Can you do Can you do Xcode development on a 12 inch MacBook? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I've I've submitted apps to the App Store um, from it. I mean, it's it's slower. Like you, you kind of have to recalibrate your expectations a little bit. Um, but it works well enough, and it's not a machine that I would want to. You know, I wouldn't want to use it forty hours a week. But for using it for like, you know, usually what ends up happening is you know, it's like a couple of times I've had to actually develop with it properly. You know, something something breaks while I'm away or I'm traveling. You know, I go track down the bug, I fix it, and I submit it. You know, it takes a couple of hours, um, and it works perfectly well for that. I mean, I mean, it's, it's you know, every time a new MacBook has come out, I just buy the new one with the fastest processor it can get because I'm definitely you know fully utilizing that CPU. Like it, and the machine, you know, is is earning its dinner because it is definitely not really geared for the level of you know, like Xcode compilation is a pretty heavy duty process, but it does the job. And as long as you're patient with it, like it works great. And I would definitely, you know, as far the, the size of it and just how you kind of forget that you have it with you is such an amazing trade-off versus, you know, if I had a big, you know, Retina MacBook Pro, like that would be better and, you know, would certainly do the job more, you know, with, with more power, but I'll, I'll take the trade-off of it, it just forgetting I have it most of the time. And as a second machine, you probably don't miss the extra ports and the other stuff that comes with the bigger machines. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I have my little bag of bag of dongles I take with me, and um, I mean, the reality for me is mostly I the only I just need a a, a USB C to Lightning connector because most of you know most of the time what I need is to plug my phone or an iPad into it, you know, to run a build or something after I'm um, after I've made it. So I just have my I have that. And so sort of, I have that, and then I have the one that lets you do pass through power, so I can charge my uh, MacBook while I'm connected to a, a an iPhone for development. Because otherwise, I have, I've definitely run into the funny situation where I'm if I'm if, I, if I'm not plugged in, and you start to have the like, well, I c- I can stop working and unplug my phone to plug into power, or I can try and get this done. Like you know, it's like there's this clock running on my work. Like I have. I have exactly 25 minutes to find this bug and fix it because otherwise, um, you know, I'll run out of battery, but in, you know, so, but you just, you just have your, as long as you have the right dongles with you, it's, it's fine. Is syncing a solved problem now for, for development or, or for life, keeping documents in sync between multiple computers, or do you constantly find that that's something you have to think about 
before you pull out the MacBook? Um, so I actually, so I, I am in, in a huge, uh, I don't know, like privileged position be, being a, a, a strictly a solo, a solo developer that I'm the only person who ever touches, um, you know, whoever touches the code for any of my apps. And so for me, I actually, I do like, I do proper version control. So in terms of checking my code in and out and being able to track, you know, track the changes of it over time and the kind of things that you have to do from a, you know, from a release management perspective so that, you know, if I find a bug in version 1.3.2, I can go and check that out and, and find it. Um, but for actually syncing between machines, I just use Dropbox syncing. Like my code is just in Dropbox. And because, I'm never in, like, I'm not in two places at once. It's always just me. It works. I've never had any trouble with it. Um, even though in general, you would never want to sync source code with something like Dropbox, because if you had any time you, if you ever had two people editing something, your changes would be constantly getting conflicted and overriding each other. Um, but for me, it works great. And so, you know, whenever I'm going on vacation or leaving somewhere, I just open my, open my MacBook on my home network. So it gets, you know, can download all the late latest changes from Dropbox and off I go from there. So, um, it works well enough for me, um, to do that, but it, it like I said, it, it wouldn't scale to a two, like even in just a two, even if you had two people, then you would have a much more complicated system where, you know, where you'd be sort of taking your code and probably pushing it up to a server and then put, pulling it down and having to be much more thoughtful and, uh, sort of conscious of it, but I can luck out and just put, you know, put it all in Dropbox and it works well enough. Yeah, one of the tricks of that, because I used to do something like that with Scrivener when I was doing big writing projects, and I always had to make sure to shut the app down on one machine and make sure it did whatever it needed to before going to the other computer. Like if I would run to the other computer or leave it open on two machines, uh, hijinks may ensue. And I guess that's probably something you need to do as well with something like with Xcode. Yeah, but I mean, the, and the benefit, at least for, for most of what I'm doing, is that um, it's all basic, essentially like programming at the end of the day is just plain text files. Um, and so, you know, they, they, they merge very well, or it's very clear if there's a conflict, you don't end up in a state where, you know, you're like it, you're never, you're never in this, a funny state where it's sort of stuck or like it's halfway in between. It's, it's usually pretty straightforward. And if there are every now and then though, there's a conflict or something that doesn't quite work. Um, it's, you know, it's a very straightforward thing because it is just, it's just a plain text file. So I can just open it up in a text editor if I need to and clean it up. I want to talk for a minute about the annual updates to the MacBooks. Cause one of the things you said is every time the new MacBook comes out, I just get the new one, uh, but you're not, you're not doing that with the iMac. And I would guess the reason is because the MacBooks are underpowered and you do need to get the extra, the yearly upgrade cycle probably makes a difference for you. Yeah. I mean, I think the a, what you just said is exactly right, that at least until such time as I don't feel the slowdown on the MacBook, um, I, I would expect to just sort of, you know, just keep getting the, the, the best I can. And if I'm honest, on the on the iMac, like it's I every now and then will, you know, will peg this machine and, you know, be doing something where it's it makes it work. But most of the time, a two year old maxed out iMac is pretty much as you know it, it the thing that's the thing that's slowing it down is you know me sitting at my keyboard not knowing what to do next rather than um it me waiting on it and so i tend to probably do a two maybe it's a two or three year 
refresh cycle on it. I mean, I tend to, I will certainly, you know, it's, it's one of the, one of the things that I've definitely found over the years is that, you know, sp- spending the money up front to get really appropriate hardware for your tasks is always a worthwhile, um, that, um, in the years when I've kind of skimped a little bit or like, Oh, do I really need, you know, the, the, like the, the maxed out version, I always end up regretting it because you, the amount of time that I spend working on this machine, it needs to be, you know, sort of like, it's like having a, a sharp knife in your kitchen. Like it just makes everything better. And so that's sort of the pattern I get into. And I look forward to, you know, sometime at the end of this year, I'll be maybe getting a re- one of the, you know, iMac pros, um, that they're coming out with, or, you know, potentially a new Mac pro next year, depending on what that ends up looking like. But, um, you know, upgrading every couple of years seems to work well enough for me. Yeah. And I want to get back to that, that iMac in just one second, but just on the the thought of the yearly upgrade, every time when this comes up on the show, we hear from a lot of listeners and some of them feel like that's extravagant. You know, why would you get a new one every year? But then we hear from folks like you who really are pegging out the old machine. And like, I heard from someone that does a lot of audio processing on the same, does the same thing, loves the little MacBook, gets the new one every year. And and when you start doing the math on it, it's really not that bad, especially if it makes you do your job faster. But a one-year-old MacBook, I'm sure you could sell it for a pretty good price. And and the actual cost to get a new one every year isn't as bad as you may think. Yeah, I mean, and it's certainly not in the scope of, like, if, I mean, I don't bill hourly anymore, but, you know, if I, if I think of it in those types of terms for, like, the... The, the actual, you know, the tangible value in it making me more effective at my job and making things take less. Like there is an extravagance to it insofar as it's, I could get my job done with less, but I would get less of my job done. And so, um, I would rather, you know, have the thing that's limiting me not be something that I could just, you know, solve with a purchase, um, as, as, you know, as, as much as I can, because like I said, it's, it, it's grown my business, I think, over the years by making sure that I'm I'm not limiting myself in that way. Um, that it's it's like it's it's an investment that pays back pretty well. And like if maybe if you were just doing, you know, if your if your job is primarily just email, you know, email and word processing, like maybe then it would be actually extravagant. But if you're doing anything where, you know, you're you're ever sort of limited by your machine or the cycling, you know, a lot of development has a very sort of iterative cyclical press, uh, sort of pattern to it where I'll do a bunch of work and then I have to compile my application and, you know, de- deploy it to a phone or to the simulator. And, you know, that process, even on a, a, a you know, fast modern setup can still take, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute um, to complete. And, you know, so if, 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 if rather than being a minute, it can be 30 seconds I do that operation probably a hundred times a day. Like it, it, it adds up very quickly for me. So what I'm sure people are curious, do you have a particular strategy for selling your it, it, upgrading so frequently for selling your old hardware or, um, you know, where you go or how you do that to, to maximize your, your, your bang for your buck there? Um, I'm actually the, the opposite. Like I've actually, I don't think I've ever, I've ever sold anything. I tend to either, hold it around as a backup and then my sort of old backup machine because tends to be a sort of a hand-me-down to um you know someone in the family or something like that like I've, that's the approach that i've tend to take in because i don't know the th- selling hardware just always um 
it's it, it it's she just seems like such a hassle and in general like it works out well that the people like my wife really loves the the old macbook that she has now like she went got to you know upgraded from an 11 inch air to that and so it worked out really well there and so i tend to just find a good home for it um is the approach i take and i also like that i have you know sort of a machine that is i know i can do my job on that sort of as a backup on deck that if if something went funny you know it's you know like if 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 i if i if my machines don't work like i can't do my job and so uh, i like that i have a machine that's sort of battle tested that is in the house or at my parents house or something like that that if if i absolutely needed to i could pull back into service um you know at a moment's notice in some ways can i just get one last thing i want to ask you about is the um uh, you were talking about using the iMac as opposed to the multi monitor uh hookup I've heard from so many listeners over the years that are struggling with this because everybody's used to multi-monitors because, the, you know, monitors used to be 15 inches. And then now you've got these big monitors. And if you want to add it, I even occasionally get the, you know, get the itch to add a second monitor to my iMac. And then I sit down at it and realize, well, what on earth do I need the extra screen space for? Um, just tell me a little bit about your experience with that. Sure. I mean, I think, yeah, like there was a time when multi-monitor was like my favorite thing in the world like there was a you know like i would have as two or three monitors even set up um but this was certainly back pre-retina it was back um you know when my a big monitor was 19 inches and like that was big um and you know or getting or the laptop and an external monitor kind of a thing and what i, I think what ended up doing it for me was when i got my first retina imac i um, at the time there was no, there were, there was no external retina capable monitor, um, at that, at that time. And it was quite a while before there was, you know, one, one even existed. Um, and so my only option for having, if I, if I wanted a retina display was to use, you know, a retina 5k iMac. And so I just sort of, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to see, see how it works. And I got used to it. And especially with the scaling options for retina displays where I can have a you know a ridiculous number of virtual pixels on my display like I tend to run it in the more space mode um I just got used to it and so now even though it's something that is possible I'm just so used to it and it, it I think I was all I really needed to be fully productive on a 27 inch display like this is just, I have a, I think it's called size up. It's one of those sort of window management tools where, you know, I do control, um, I was, cause I control options left and it moves the window to be exactly half of the left or to the right or those types of, yeah, sort a of, bunch of apps to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's any number of, but one, as long as I had something like that, where I could in some ways simulate having two monitors, logically you know because often what i'll end up doing is i'll have my you know my coding and my development stuff on one side and then i have a whole bunch of other stuff on the right side of my screen that's usually like a simulator or slack or my email or some references or something like that and so as long as i can and as long as i'm not going crazy kind of trying to manage that myself by hand um, i found that it works well and um the thought of going back to multiple monitors i think would just be it would be almost too much space, like having two 27 inch retina displays. I, I don't, I feel like I would just be like looking for things and it would, be, it would become more problematic than actually solve 
um, solve a problem that I actually have. Whereas, you know, back in the day, it was an actual problem that, you know, if you, your screens were so small that you really needed as much space as you could. Yeah. I do the thing with, um, I, like you, I split the right and the left side of the screen. And then if you use the four finger swipe up with, with, a I keep wanting to say spaces, but whatever the feature is called in Apple now, you can just all day be switching between apps on the right and the left side of the screen. And you're right. That's a lot of pixels. If you, if you do it. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander. Head over to TextExpander.com slash podcast and make sure you let them know that Mac Power Users sent you because you can save 20% off for a limited time. So Text Expander is the essential tool for Mac and iOS that will save your fingers thousands of keystrokes by helping you take all of those boilerplate pieces of text or things that you type over and over and over again and reduce them down to just a few handy keystrokes. And Text Expander can work wonders for an individual, but it's even more powerful when you can take that productivity and multiply it across your entire team. So here's an example of how Text Expander can work for you. So let's say you have a marketing message. Maybe you include it on all your products. Maybe it's in your email signature. And if you launch a new product or service, you're going to want to make sure that everybody gets the memo and everything is updated. Well, if you don't use Text Expander, someone in your marketing department is going to have to send out an email and new instructions with the text to everybody. And maybe if you're lucky, half the company would use it and maybe not. Well, with Text Expander, your best minds in your marketing department edit that message and then they edit their Text Expander snippet. And that shared database is shared across your entire team and instantly available to everyone on all of their devices. They don't need to do anything. They just type that same keystroke that they're familiar with and boom, the message is updated out to everyone. Nothing new is required. And that is the power and the magic of shared snippets. And just one example of how you can take your best communicators on your team and multiply their talents across everybody. So you can learn more about how you can use Text Expander as a productivity multiplier by your entire team by heading over to textexpander.com slash podcast and make sure you tell them that you heard about them from Mac Power users and you can save up to 20% off your first year for a limited time only. Thanks to Smile and the folks at Text Expander for their continued support of the show. Now, David, in addition to being, you know, a Mac developer, uh, you, you, uh, well, I guess you're really an iOS developer. So in addition to owning Macs, you, you need to own some iOS devices that you make all these apps for. Yeah, I have a, I have a, an Ikea like organizer on my desk that is just full of, um, uh, old iPhones, iPod touches, iPads, um, six or seven Apple watches. Like it's a, a quite a substantial collection of, uh, of, of Apple hardware just sort of sitting on my desk every day. Yeah. That's something uh, non-developers need to know is that developers have to have old versions of the hardware so they can test their apps. So if somebody writes in and says, I have an iPhone six and it's not working, they can find out why. So you guys all have collections of iPhones and pads and watches do you do much work on the ios stuff i mean you know with your own work um you mean in terms of like the actual the day-to-day i mean the the, i i probably email is the only non-development thing that i that i do on my uh on my ios devices like it's i was never somebody who sort of got into a lot of uh like yeah like ipad productivity or those types of things like it's never really fit for me like i 
I'm very competent on the Mac. I know exactly sort of what I'm doing and how to do it there. And so the only thing I really, other than like running my apps and the development of them, um, it would just be sort of, you know, checking my email on my iPhone. Um, and like, it's a funny thing with the iPad, like in some ways I've gone through periods where I feel like I should, I, there should be, there should be a home for it in my, in my daily, in my, you know, my daily work or my work, the workflows for things I do. Um, and I've, and I've had iPads and like many iPads and I could dedicate them to particular tasks if I wanted or all kinds of things just because I have them. But for me, it's never fit. Like I, I'm just always feel like I'm much more, uh, I'm much more proficient on a Mac. And so even though I have access to, you know, as all the iOS devices I could ever want, it's, it's just never really worked for me. Yeah, I always feel like people um, should never take a religious standpoint on this stuff. It's like, if you like working on the Mac, you should not feel like you have to work on iOS or vice versa. You know, it's just, I think the whole point with Apple's approach is give them different devices and let everybody work with what they want to work with. Um, but but that that is something that in our nerd community is kind of hard for people to just let go and say, okay, well, this one's not for me or I don't need this one that much. The um and then of course you have so many uh, apps that that go onto the Apple Watch. Are you a power Apple Watch user or just a a power Apple Watch developer? Um, I would say I'm a fairly power Apple Watch user. I mean, I I think it, I made a decision several years, like when the Apple Watch first came out, um, that it was a platform that I wanted to be an expert, um, in. Um, and so I've, you know, I've been had, I think on the day one of the Apple watch app store, I think I launched something like 10 apps, um, which at the time was entirely speculative. Like I didn't own an Apple watch. It was, but it was this thing where I wanted to experiment and to try and I decided, you know, it's like, this was a platform that I liked. Um, I, it looked interesting to me and I sort of just wanted to dive into and pursue. And so I've continued that ever, you know, sort of ever since. And, you know, I've lots of Apple watches and, you know, I do feel a bit silly, but, you know, but it's one of the the funny things of the job where all summer I'll have at least two Apple watches on me at e- at any time. And, um, often, uh, sometimes even more, like I've definitely, you know, especially the, one of the more amusing ones is right at making a sleep tracker, um, testing. It's really hard because the only way to, you can, you only get one opportunity a day to test it really. Yeah, um, you could take lots of naps. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure how if I would overall boost my productivity to just uh, um, sleep all night, make 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 a small fix, and then take naps all day. But yeah, I can just see your wife walking in on you, and you're like, "Hey, I'm working in here." Yeah, yeah I'm just, <laughs> just taking a nap in my in my, in my office. Um, but the amusing thing then is, like, I've definitely gone to sleep, and I have like four Apple watches you know, like two on each wrist, because if I'm testing multiple versions or multiple configurations and I need, the only way to do that is to like have all these Apple watches on or, and, you know, you just kind of, I just kind of get used to the, the weird looks over the summer where I'll go out, you know, I, all summer I'll have two, like I'll at least I'll have the, you know, this year, this summer it was watch OS four on one wrist and watch OS three on the other. Um, and you know, that's just the, the way that I have to do it to, to make sure that I understand what's changing and what's new um, and I'll often have one that's a smaller, you know, the 38 millimeter and one that's the 42 millimeter Apple watch so that I make sure things, you know, look good and feel good on both sizes and I don't get stuck into, to one or the other. And, um, but yeah, it's, they're, they're kind of a funny thing to have. Cause I have so many, like when, if you, t- when you have Apple watches on the, on a shelf and you take the straps off, like they're these teeny little computers, you know, that it changes everything when you look at it with a strap off, right? 
Yeah, and especially when you look at like f- put four or five of them in your hand without th- yeah. without the straps on, and they they, they have a, it's, they, you know, they're almost like poker chips in a weird uh, way. So or skipping stones, I would think. You know, it's just although do not skip them at home, please. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Uh, even even I, even I who have several of them, it's probably best. Uh, th- I don't think that would they would respond well to that. An unsolicited plug for David's Sleep Plus Plus app. I was having trouble sleeping for a little while, and I couldn't figure it out. And I uh, I. I bought his app and it's great. You put it on your watch at night and when you wake up in the morning, it gives you tons of data on when you're waking up and, and the quality of your sleep. It's, it feels to me like it's a, it's something that's ripe for Sherlocking, honestly, cause it's so, it's so useful. Oh, I'm sure it'll be Sherlocked at some point. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'm honestly kind of surprised that it hasn't been so far, but I, I don't know at some point I'm sure, um, there's Apple's just waiting for the right marketing reason or, battery life situation or something but yeah and the battery life isn't that bad like i just put my watch in a um charger for about a half hour in the morning and the evening and it's fine you know it doesn't really take much of a charge to get this thing going one of the things you you tend to be really good at is is coming up with you know little apps and not necessarily little apps but but apps that that hit a niche right when Apple releases new functionality. Um, when they came out with the the motion processor, you you came out and hit with a lot of motion related apps. You know, the Pedometer Plus Plus, and um, you, then you built on that. And then, of course, you know, sleep tracking when that kind of became a thing with the watch. Even though Apple wasn't there, you, you know, you hit on that. Are you actively looking for opportunities to expand on those types of things? Do you have to be, you know, just right place, right time? You know, how do you kind of get the ideas for for all of these apps? Sure. So a lot of that comes from, so I've been an app developer essentially as long as I, or I I guess an iOS app developer. Back in the day, it was iPhone OS uh, app developer. Like as soon as Apple announced that there was going to be an app store and like this was going to be a thing. Uh, I, I knew nothing of Mac development. I don't think I owned a Mac. If I'm Mac, or maybe I did. Um, but it was. Yeah, I think I, I had one Mac. But it, I was not really a Mac person at that point. Like I was a, a web developer, and that was my world. And I just saw it and was like, "This is a thing that's going to be big." Um, I'd like the independence of like making my own things, making products rather than being a consultant, which is what I, my background had been before that. Um, and so I just like dove in and started making apps and in the early days, a pattern that had happened many times is, you know, Apple adds a new capability to one of their platforms to, but whether that be hardware or software and the initial group of apps that take advantage of that tend to be well received by Apple. They would tend to get features. Um, they get written up in the press. Like there was, it was a, a way for a small business like myself who doesn't have, I don't have a very, I don't have a marketing department. I don't have a big marketing budget. It was a way to kind of sneak in to those kind of round roundups by finding those little things that are new um, and are interesting just because that they're new. And so I got into a habit where, you know, every WWDC, every time a new, you know, a new point release, even of iOS comes out, like my number one thing I'm doing is I'm going through it, seeing what's new and trying to ask myself, what could I do with this capability? Um, irrespective of whether it's um, like specifically what it's, what it's designed for. It's just like, what could I do? And anytime I see something that is, the, you know, is something new that I feel like I could 
I have the capability to take advantage of, um, I tend to just make an app for it and try it out. And many of these apps that, you know, I have very often, you know, I'm either the first or one of the first apps to take advantage of a new API um, and just sort of coming up with ideas with, you know, with, 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 with these capabilities as they appear. So like with sleep tracking, um, you know, Apple, I, the API that I use for the sleep tracking, I'm not really sure what it's there in the, you know, sort of, sort of in the API for, um, but I was able to turn that into a sleep tracker um, just sort of by the way that I, the way that I use it. And I feel like, you know, or with pedometer, it's like they added step counting to the iPhone 5S. And I was like, great, let me just, you know, uh, make a basic app that counts steps and just sort of grow it from there. And if I've iterated that, I've done that, I've done that process enough times, like sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Like I've launched dozens of apps that didn't go anywhere following that pattern, but in general, it was a, it's a nice way for me to leverage the being a small solo developer that, you know, if I, I don't have to convince anybody that this is a good idea, I don't need to have meetings or like get approval to start an app. If I have an idea, if I think this might work, I tend to just run with it. And, you know, some of those, see most of those see the, the app store, some of them I end, you know, end up killing um, before, before I ever launched them if it doesn't really work. But it's just one of those things that I feel like I have an advantage versus a bigger company where I can much more quickly just decide to do something, do it, ship it, get it out in the world. Um, and hopefully, you know, hopefully it works out. Nothing like a little agility. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, one of the things you mentioned is you've released dozens of apps. I don't, I don't know if you have a number, you, you probably know the number, but it, uh, I think it's about 57. Yeah. It's, it's high. I mean, most app developers, maybe if they're lucky launch one or two successful apps and, and you you're now in, in dozens. Um, what do you think is the difference there that, you know, you're, you're constantly, I mean, you're constantly launching new apps compared to many developers who maybe only have a handful or maybe only have two or three, or maybe only have one that they're, you know, constantly sitting there and, and curating is, is again, does it go back to that agility or is it something else? Um, so I will say that I've, I've slowed down in the last few years that I think a lot of the, the volume side of my sort of app development history was came from a place of I made the decision that this is what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to be um, an app developer that I, I just I love something about it really appealed to me of, you know, being sort of having switching from a model where with something like consulting, where all of my work was always kind of like prepaid. Um, so as soon as I stopped doing, as soon as I stopped working or I went on, you know, t like took a week off with my family or something, I always, it's like you're you start to like dig yourself into the hole. And I never liked that feeling. And so I, oh, the appeal of always, always to like get into the product world where it's like, it's more risky in theory up front in the sense that it's like, it's postpaid, that you do all this work that you get nothing for. And then, um, you put this product out in the world and it you know, gives you revenue going forward. And that always really, like once I latched onto, that was my goal. Um, essentially I just sort of did everything I could to make that happen. And to start with, um, it was the understanding that I was going to learn way more from, you know, failing a dozen times than I would be by failing once. And so, I wanted to just try as many things as I could to have as broad of an experience as I could, um, both from an improving myself perspective in terms of I wanted to 
you know, be, get better at development. And the only way I could really get better, good at development was to just, you know, do all the, do as much of it as I could to have a high sort of lots of repetitions of going through that process so that the next time an opportunity presented itself, I was more able to take advantage of it. You know, that the quality of what I could do or I could turn around quickly, um, would go up. And so that was just a choice that I made to sort of dive into and do. And in the early days, I would just, you know, ship as many apps as I could in some ways. And some of it was also just like, you just never knew, like, and especially in the early days of the app store, there was, you know, it's when, you know, now there's millions of apps, but back in the days when it was, you know, there were tens of thousands or a hundred thousand apps was a big deal. Um, like you just never knew what was going to hit, like what was going to be viable and, so I just tried to do a lot. And I think that experience, even though I've slowed down now, you know, sort of essentially I found an, enough sort of en- enough of my apps have hit now that just sort of the nurture and main- maintenance of them is now essentially a full time job. Um, it's it's still a mindset that I have that anytime there's an opportunity f- that I think would be interesting, I'll you know, I'll spend the spend a couple of days to try it out and see and that experimentation i think is a healthy thing to keep me from getting sort of stuck into one thing and then end up being you know blindsided when you know say an app i have made it ends up being sherlocked or even or another uh, another developer comes in or market you know market forces shift or i get a weird app app review rejection or something happens that um causes you know causes a, a main app for me to to fall away then you know, I'm ready for it because I'm I'm not just sort of um, satisfied with just having have, having one thing that um, is is successful. I want to have as broad a, a base as I can. Yeah, it's the whole idea of failing fast. You know, getting in, trying it, and and deciding early whether you need to move on or not. Yeah, and seeing and seeing that as an opportunity to learn, I think was the the key thing that I, um, I I've learned over the years is that it's there's there's no you the only way that you can be ready for like opportunities when they come up is to have been there before and like the app that's most successful for me now uh pedometer plus plus like i think in many ways i you know my my, the success of it in in like my ability to make that app very quickly was just i had spent so many years making apps that and you know iterating through that that i think i made the whole app in less than a week without uh, without access to hardware um you know it's like i launched it it was the, the first app and i think for at least a week or two it was the only step counting app on the app store for a while and like that was just putting yourself putting yourself in a position to be able to be successful when those kind of rare opportunities present themselves and then since then you've been able to iterate on and make it so so much out of it because of that yeah. that initial spot exactly yeah like it, it it had enough traction at the start that it it justified you know putting you know, it has years of development into it now, and it's gone through many design iterations and functionality improvements and, you know, expanded out onto the Apple Watch now or into today widgets or all the places like the app is very, has a lot of depth now, which it didn't start with, but it wouldn't have, you know, if starting a new, starting it today, it wouldn't, it'd be incredibly difficult to make an app like that have any traction because um, it'd be so competitive. Whereas, you know, if you launch when there's no competitors, it's that much easier, I suppose. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Fracture. Blow somebody's mind this holiday and give them a beautiful Fracture print. Fracture is the photo decor company that's out to rescue your favorite images from the digital ether. 
Now, if you're listening to this show and you find yourself frequently looking at your favorite images on your phone or your iPad, raise your hand, or at least raise your hand if you're not driving. Now, if that's you, why are you just looking at your pictures on these digital devices? Here's one way you should copy your parents and put a few of those pictures on the wall, but do it better than they did, because now we've got Fracture in our lives. With Fracture, you upload a digital image to them over the web, and then they print your photo directly onto glass, and then they add a laser-cut rigid backing so they're ready to display right out of the box. They even include the wall anchor, so you just take it out of the box and hang it on the wall. I love Fracture prints. I started buying them before they were a sponsor, and I'm sure I'll keep buying them after they're a sponsor because they're just the perfect solution for the age-old problem of how to get your prints on the wall. Fracture prints don't have a frame. The photo really is the focus of a fracture print. That makes it really pop, and it also allows it to match any decorating style. The way they print the image right on the glass is pretty remarkable. It reminds me of the iPhone. You know how you look at the iPhone and the, the pixels look like they're right on the screen. Well, that's the same effect you get with a fracture print. Uh, they just look better than a usual picture that you get printed and then put behind a big piece of glass. And best of all, they're very reasonably priced. So I've been buying lots of these. We get seasonal ones and we change them in the house over the course of the year. So why don't you bring a special memory to life or give a fracture as a gift or decorate your home with the moments that tell your story? Businesses also use fracture prints to brighten up their workspaces. Now, I can tell you as a dad that I love nothing better than pictures of my kids. So if you've got a dad in your life or maybe even a mom, uh, fracture is a great way to give a gift this year as we head into the holidays. Get a really cool looking print of yourself or your kids, send it to one of those relatives, and you're just going to make their day. Fractures all come with a 60-day happiness guarantee, so you're sure to love your order. Each fracture is handmade in Gainesville, Florida, from U.S. source materials in their carbon-neutral factory. I love it because it's easy to buy these things. You go online, you pick it out, it gets shipped to you. It doesn't take a lot of time, but at the end of the day, it is a really thoughtful gift. To learn more, go to FractureMe.com slash podcast. And don't forget to mention Mac Power users in their one-question survey. It helps support the show and makes us look great. And we want to look great. So why don't you hang your favorite picture on the wall this holiday with Fracture? David, uh, you talked about your your Macs, and I know we've talked about Xcode, but what are the other tools, the software tools you're using these days to to make software? Sure. So, yeah, Xcode is my main tool. If I do any graphics-y stuff, I tend to do it in Photoshop. Um, there, I know a lot of developers love sketch um which is another sort of graphics program but i just use photoshop because i at the time when i needed when i needed to learn how to do graphicsy stuff that was the, the that was the main thing that everyone used and that's what all my graphic designers would work in and so i just kind of suffered through trying to learn it well enough to get by and since i've gone through that suffering i don't want to change and so i just continue to use uh, photoshop anytime i need to do anything sort of graphicsy um, I use TextMate from all my sort of general text editing and I'm trying to think of other sort of tools. Like um, I use Solver, the, uh, there's a math, it's yeah, like a, it's a great uh, app. Yeah. It's a, 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 like a math, a, 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 I mean, it's like, it's almost like natural language math. Um, yeah, and it's kind of like a spreadsheet too. It's just, it's just a weird app, but it's great. And yeah. And so I use that a lot because a lot of development ends up, you have a lot of these things where you do a lot of kind of, it, it there's a lot of math involved in programming more than you might think for working out what the right you know 
layout ratios and things are. Now, and that one is spelled, if you're listening, I think it's S-O-U-L-V-R, if memory serves. S-O-U-L-V-E-R. Yeah, it's it's weird, the, the way you spell it, but it's a great app. And, and now, well, it's British. Oh, is it? Okay, well, there you go. They, and it's on all platforms and iCloud Sync. They've really, that, that's, an, that's one of those apps that started basic and has really developed a lot over the last few years. Um, and then the other tool that I was going to say is worth worth is in a strange way is Excel um, and less on the development side, but tremendously on the business side of what I do. Um, I found getting comfortable in Excel and like doing able to do being able to do things like pivot tables and um, some of the more sophisticated stuff that you can do in Excel has been incredibly helpful for me from a understanding my business, understanding where my income comes from understanding where my expenses are going. Um, like I do a lot of that, like the actual tracking of that, you know, in QuickBooks or something, but the being able to take data, throw it into Excel and then look at it from, you know, six different perspectives. I found was something that, um, is, has turned out to be really valuable to, uh, for me just on the business side and understanding, you know, understanding my business in a, in a deeper way. And just modeling and, and trying to figure out where you're making your money. Yeah. And, and like it was, it's, I will say it's one of those things that was, I was always so scared of pivot tables back in the day. Um, like there was this super, you know, this seemed super scary of like, it's this, but then once I wrap my head around what you're doing, it's just like the ability is like where I could take, you know, take a list of say all of my expenses from the business for the year and throw it into Excel. And then I can say like, show me, show me these grouped by this or by that. And being able to just look at them in different ways is just a really powerful tool um, that, you know, you, you say it shows you data that you is intrinsic in that information. Like it, it's, it's, it's just in there, but you just have to know how to ask the right question. Um, so that's another tool that I find I, I use way more than I would ever have thought that I would, you know, just as a programmer. If somebody out there is listening as an aspiring programmer, uh, how important is graphics and user interface to someone that's coming up these days that wants to be a programmer? Um, I think it's it's useful um, to either there's just, and it depends probably to how you want to be a programmer. That if you want to be a programmer, um, is part of a bigger company. Um, I would say it's useful but not essential to 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 have a good grasp on sort of the more UI or graphical side of um parts of an app but if you're you know more interested if you just want to you know if you're if you're a developer at, at at instagram working on the instagram app like i'm sure there are there's a group of engineers whose focus is on things that are entirely non-visual never are never seen by the customer and there's another group of people whose focus gets to be more blurred between design and development um but if you're an independent developer if it's something that you want to do on a more independent basis, then I think it becomes much more important to, at the very least, be comfortable working in those f- things. Like, I, I, I'm by no means a great designer. Like, I, I'm com- I've gotten competent at design just from experience and trial and error, but um, it's not something that, you know, that's not what makes my apps good. It's not their design so much as they're hopefully the way they, they function and the way they feel. But it's being comfortable with that and not being intimidated by it, I think, is an, you know, a very important part um, because mostly because it means that you know what you can't do. Um, you know, I'm at the point now where like, I, you know, I, I, there are a few designers that I'll work for work with when I, um, when I need, you know, we need icons done or, 
have specific design questions or problems or issues I need to work through. Like I know when I need to ask for, for help, you know, I, I, like I have that, have that under that much of an understanding of what's going on, um, as well as the ability to not always need that. And so like I can balance between the two and, you know, most of the time, if, if I had to do all my graphic, graphic and visual work through a designer, it would get really cumbersome and I probably wouldn't be able to, you know, if I have an idea for an app to build it very quickly, because I would need to, you know, be going back and forth and or, you know, even just setting up contracts or stuff like that. Like it can, it would just slow me down in a way that I'd rather have something that kind of works that I was able to do myself. And I've just kind of self-taught myself enough to, to get by with that. What about just like the general calendaring and task management and all that stuff? I mean, you've got a lot of things to manage with all these apps that you're developing. How do you do that stuff? Sure. So I will say that one of the big benefits of being a one-man shop is calendaring is essentially a non-issue for me uh, because I don't really have any meetings. Um, The only meeting I really have each week is... Uh, on Wednesdays when I record under the radar with Marco Arment, we have a, you know, have a standing appointment to do that. But um, otherwise I there's calendaring is not typically a, a part of my, a part of my day-to-day work, which is, which is, you know, it's just certainly a unique treat of being a, uh, being self-employed. And, and really because of the nature of your business, you don't need to meet with, you're not doing hourly work for clients anymore. So it, it takes a lot of that off your desk. But still, you've got you've got a lot of ores in the water. I mean, you've got all these apps you've got to keep current, and I'm sure you have customer issues you have to handle. I mean, just how do you manage that stuff in addition to trying to be an agile developer? Yeah, so I think some of it. it so, like, I use OmniFocus as my like to task list manager, but I don't really use it as a task manager. Um, it's more like I use. Like, and it could be any to-do list. I use OmniFocus because um, way back in the day, I was just looking for something that if you uh, copied a bunch of new line separated, like, to-dos from an email, say, like, uh, you know, there's a bulleted list of to-dos that if I pasted them in, they would each become new to-dos. And I tried a bunch of things. OmniFocus did that. And so I just have used it ever since. But I use it mostly just as a, it's just a, a dumping ground or a database kind of a thing where... As things come, as things come in, or I have ideas for uh, for things for for tasks that I should do, or ideas for an app, or for you know a feature that I could add, um, I'll just dump them in there. And I tend to have just take the approach of I work on one app at a time, and whatever you know, whatever that app is at this point, I will open up its sort of its big it's big project and OmniFocus and see all the different things that I could work on with that. I'll just pick a couple and I'll work on them, you know, for a week or a day or a month, depending on the size of the tasks and, you know, ship that update and then work out sort of what the next thing is. And I've just kind of gotten, initially I struggled with taking that approach because I always felt like it in to do, to take that approach, I kind of have to be, I'm I'm neglecting the other parts of my business while I take this approach. Um, like rather than trying to sort of juggle and balance and be work, be fully on top of all of the various parts of my business and all of the different apps. And you know, if they have, if like three apps have have you know bugs in them at once, which well, all my apps have bugs in them all the time. That's just the nature of software. But like I, um, I originally I would try and kind of manage that, and I tried all kinds of 
to-do list and task management. And I think at a point I just decided in order for this to be viable, I'm just going to have to be comfortable letting go of that control and to instead just say, I'm going to work better if I'm focused on just one thing and what I'm working on. And so I just, you know, I have a system whereby I, I capture those ideas or those issues. So as things come up, they'll, you know, be attached to the right app so that whenever, whenever it is next appropriate for me to work on that app, I'll, you know, jump over to that and the, that information will be there for me. But that's the approach that I tend to take with task management. And then in the actual, like, at a tactical level, like on a day-to-day level, I just kind of, I, I don't know, I, I, go with, I go with the flow where I kind of wing it. Um, and I find that that works well for me where I have a g- very general sense of what I'm trying to accomplish. And it's more just a question of like, what, what should I do next? What should I do next? And I kind of follow the, follow the path as it goes rather than trying to plan it out ahead of time. Well, that was kind of going to lead to my next question. I mean, do you have a, a set schedule in terms of this is kind of how often I like to release things or these are goals or targets that I'm working for and that's how it's going to influence priority or, or how I get things done or this is how I know when I need to work on what things? But anything that kind of gives you structure other than, you know, I just kind of wake up and this is this is what I feel like. I mean, it's nice to have those days, you know, where I don't want to feel like doing this, so I'm going to do that. But, you know, I'm just curious whether there's anything that kind of dictates your your day or your schedule. If, you know, there's every now and then there's an obvious thing that will dictate my schedule where it's like there's some critical crashing bug or a server's down or something that is like actually on fire that I need to go and extinguish. And that just like takes over my day. But otherwise. I've tried to be more like planful about it and kind of plan, you know, sort of plan out what I'm going to do when, and, oh, I'm going to work on this app for so, for so many weeks. I'm going to ship this update. And often that would kind of take the form of maybe at WWDC when kind of Apple releases, here's all the new stuff that's going to come out this fall. I would sit down and kind of plan for what that could mean for all my apps. Um, And, the honest thing that I found from for myself is that I the, all that time I would spend planning rarely actually had any correlation to the work that I would do, and so at this point I just kind of just go with what maybe maybe it's just a bit of instinct or whatever, but where I get a sense of um, this is you know what was it what's the biggest opportunity I have right now. And I'm just going to pursue that. Or sometimes it is just, what, what am I most interested in working on? Like, what am I going to enjoy doing where, um, like, this can certainly get me in trouble where sometimes I will, you know, spend way too much time on something that, uh, from a business perspective, was probably not a good idea, but I enjoy doing, um, which can get me in trouble. But I think having that, having a lot of fluidity for it just works really well for me and the way that. Um, the way that I work and the way that my mind works. And if I'm honest, one of the hardest things I found about being self-employed is motivation um, and having to generate that motivation myself. Um, like as much as it's like, there are some days there where it's, like, it's awesome and I love being self-employed and it's like, it's great to have the freedom and the flexibility. But at the same time, there are many days when I really don't want to do anything and I kind of wish that there was, you know, a, a boss sitting two, two desks over from me who is going to be asking in three hours for where this feature is. Um, and not having that, like sometimes I do just need to 
work on what whatever will motivate me at that time, whatever will interest me, um, so that I can keep making forward progress. Because it's far more important in general, probably I found to um, just make progress on something and keep momentum moving in you know in the business as long as it's it's moving somewhere rather than um, sort of getting too stuck on you know t- trying to plan out what an ideal strategy is or or where where I would best be or where I, what I should what I best should do next rather than I find it's just like what do I want to do next and unless something is you know desperate for my attention sort of externally like something is pushing pu- pushing itself onto me either because it's a bug that I shipped or an opportunity that is just too good to pass up or something I tend to just follow that pattern more meanderingly um which in at least conceptually seems like i'm so probably missing out on some things or not being as efficient as i could but i find that it keeps me the most motivated um and as you know motivation is far more important or a harder thing for me to sustain long term than than anything else so it works but you know it seems like you have the right instincts because it'd be very easy with someone that makes as many apps as you do to say I get up and I answer a hundred emails to all my customers and I don't actually move the ball forward on any of my code. (laughs) You know, I mean, that happens. I think there's a lot of times when you start running your own business like this, that you get caught up in the minutia and you don't actually make the product anymore. And I think that that's something for you that I've always admired. It seems like you always are able to keep shipping updates and new products and and that would seem to me that you're you're putting your focus where it needs to be. Yeah. And I mean it helps too that the part of the job that I enjoy is the development side, is the is shipping, is making the stuff. And so I I will be the first to admit that I neglect many of the other aspects of my business that um maybe I shouldn't. Um because I enjoy that part of it so much. And so I would rather, you know, I would, I would rather sit down and spend a day in Xcode building something way more than I would, you know, doing, doing compliance work or, or tax documentation or stuff. And, you know, so I found that's that kind of thing. I've, you know, I attend outsources if I can, you know, so I have someone who does accounting and bookkeeping for me and a lot of compliance kind of stuff if i can pay someone to do the work for that do that for me part-time like i will always take that or i I have someone who does customer support for me much the same reason that i i don't enjoy it and i'm not very good at it and i feel like you know someone else can do a much better job of responding to customers and um you know giving that level of service that i would like to provide but would be awful at providing you know myself if i were just to do my do it on my own. Yeah. And that's easy. I mean, it's easy to fall into that trap. You know, like I, I was doing my own for a lot of my stuff and then I finally hired somebody for some of it. And it's just like, it's so much better for you to produce than it is for you to sit there and twiddle your thumbs. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Gazelle, the trusted online marketplace for buying and selling used electronics. You can learn more by heading over to gazelle.com today. So are you looking to upgrade to a brand new iPhone 10 this fall? Maybe your iPhone 8? Whatever you're doing, Gazelle has got you covered with not only affordable, gently used personal devices, but also the best value for your current phone. 
That special offer lock event is happening right now, and it's exactly what you need to make sure that you're confident on your decision with your next iPhone. So you can head on over to gazelle.com, that's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com, to create a customized offer and lock in the value of your device today, because you know it will never be worth more than it is right now. And while you're there, check out your huge inventory of iPhones, iPads, Samsung devices, and more. So they've got devices for every kind of need, and they're available in good, fair, and excellent condition. And I've bought used devices from Gazelle for members of my family and have been blown away. Good condition comes with some gentle signs of wear and tear, but offers consumers great prices on amazing devices. And all of their devices have been put through a rigorous 30-point inspection process, ensuring that they are in great working order. Devices are available for all the major carriers, whether it's AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and Sprint. And all online offers are free, so simply find your gadget, answer a few easy questions, and get an instant price quote. During this busy iPhone season, Gazelle understands that sometimes you can't always get the device you want as fast as you want. So they will be extending the standard 30-day trade-in period so you can decide which new iPhone suits you best without sacrificing the value of your current phone. Payments are fast. You can either get a check in the mail, an Amazon gift card in your inbox, or a direct deposit into your PayPal account. So head on over to gazelle.com today, that's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com, to trade your device in for cash or buy a certified pre-owned device. And thanks, Gazelle, for their support of the show. So, David, I want to follow up on what you said about outsourcing some of your stuff, because for those of us who, who are solo or who have gone out on our own, the the hardest part, I think, for me at least, has been figuring out when you need help and figuring out when to reach out to other people. Um, because especially in the beginning, you're so hesitant to do so because you don't want to spend any money. You don't want to pay anybody for anything. When when did you figure out, and maybe you did a lot earlier than I did, that it was okay to do that? And what how did that process work when you first started sending things out to other people? Yeah, so I think the first maybe two years or so of um, of being independent, like being self-employed, I did everything myself um, or somewhere around there. And I think that experience was useful insofar as I I understood all the jobs that needed to be done in a way that like I knew I knew where I needed help because I had gone through, you know, gone through a year or two years of doing, doing and filing my own taxes and, um, like dealing with all that stuff. And then I think when I, once I, what I tend to take the approach is like, once I, I don't like outsourcing something that I, I don't understand. Like I want to be able to understand and be able to do it myself. I mean, there are certainly exceptions to that. Like I do have a CPA who does stuff that I don't understand to some degree because that's their job. But I try at the same time to like, I, when, when they, when they tell me something like, Hey, here's this, you know, like, this is the way that we're going to structure this or the way we're going to depreciate that. Like I'll go and dig out the IRS publication to try and understand at least at a superficial level, like what they're talking about. Um, and then once I understand it, it's nice to then be able to be like, okay, like, I know how long this will take me to do. I know how much I will enjoy doing that. You know, would I rather, um, you know, t- would, would, would I rather have the money that I could save by outsourcing this or would I rather, you know, sort of do, do this myself? And in at a certain point, you definitely get into the place that once you 
once you the first time you outsource anything, I think you you sort of like you you, you once you broke broken that seal, like you'll start out looking you start looking through your your day to day work in a different perspective where you're like, what could I not do? Um, but probably both from the perspective of like, what things am I doing that I actually don't need to do, or I could do without the same level of, of intensity as I, as I am now and just sort of like not do work. Uh, but if I actually do need to absolutely do it, you know, which, which of these things can I outsource? Which of these things can I pu- push onto someone else? And usually I find something where I'm either not good at it, like any, any tasks that I do that I'm just not good at, um, that I have to do and I do regularly is like a great opportunity for me to outsource because it's just, it's, it's a, it's a, something that's going to be sort of, it's going to drag me down rather than keeping me moving forward. Um, and then, you know, for me, I found that it was accounting stuff and it was help desk stuff. And so I just found people who could help me part-time doing the, doing those tasks. And it's been great. And I think once you, once you can get over the, the the sort of that sense of, and in some ways it's kind of like we were talking about at the beginning of the show about the cost of your hardware. Um, like, it's so easy, I think, when you're starting out because you're having to make decisions that ordinarily, like, your boss would be making for you, um, where you, you, you're seeing the actual dollars that are being spent on whatever it is, and you, it kind of feels like it's all... Um, like it's all your money and and it is, but it's sort of your business's money as well. And if the more I'm able to kind of separate the two, um, as like, is this, is this a legitimate valuable business expense that will, would help the business move forward? That if, if I were, a you know, if I, if I were in a bigger company and you know, I'm a middle manager trying to deci- decide decide, you know, workforce planning or something like, how would I handle this? Um, like that is very helpful to then be to say like, no, this makes sense. Like I can save myself a huge amount of time and end up with a better result by hiring somebody who's a specialist. Um, and you just kind of get, once I've gotten you, once I got used to that, it's, it's great. But yeah, the earliest, I think the, the, the best advice I could probably give anybody who was starting out is it's like, it's, it's a good thing to be, keep, keep, keep open-minded about and to, to try and to see how it's like, it's almost certainly going to be worth it. And honestly, the nice thing too, is if it isn't, it doesn't, if it doesn't end up being worth it, you can just take it back over. Like if it's a, if it's a task that you used to be doing, you know how to do it. And so if it ends up not working out, you can almost certainly just pick up where, um, where, where, you know, where the person you were hiring left off and, uh, and carry it forward. But you probably won't because as soon as you, get used to not having to do it and be able to focus on the thing that you're, you know, usually if you're going into, if you're doing something on an independent basis, it's because you have a specialist skill, um, that is distinctive, that is distinctive enough to sustain itself on its own. So, you know, I want to do as much of that thing as I can. Now, how do you, do you, do you have a way of tracking it as you're sending all this work out? I mean, do you keep track of what, who's doing what, or is it manage itself at this point for you? Um, I think it tends to manage itself pretty well. Like the people I, I, I work with are, um, are, you know, they're very good at what they do and we tend to just kind of fall into a pattern for how we deal with things. Like the person who helps me on the accounting and bookkeeping side has the natural flow around, I think we tend to sort of have a quarterly cycle where we'll sort of be checking in and, you know, like getting them, I'll be getting them the things they need and they'll, 
at the end of every quarter be giving me reports and sort of look backs. And I think on the, uh, on the help desk side, I, you know, take 10 to be, we usually have a call once a week or so where they'll call me with, with issues that have arisen and we'll kind of talk them through. Um, but I kind of like the, you know, it tends to just sort of work itself out that I, I do, I never want to be in the place where I feel like I'm managing um, somebody like in the sense that that's, I, I've done that once I hired a developer to like who worked for me, um, for about a year and it, it was a, and it, it didn't work out at, at, in, at many levels. But, um, what I did found is I did, I don't like the feeling of having to sort of manage someone on a, a more day to day basis that when I, when I'm looking for someone to help me, I want to find somebody who, you know, can be entirely self-sufficient and, you know, we'll, they'll let me know when there's a problem and we will deal with it. But it, you know, can, otherwise it's sort of like no news is good news. And I can just trust that they're taking care of their, taking care of their, their business and I'm taking care of mine. It, it's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge. The, um, n- now you, one of the things we haven't talked about is, um, marketing and social media and all that stuff. Um, are you running that for your app business or are you, have you offloaded that? Um, I, I'm running it insofar as there is no one else doing it. Um, okay. I wouldn't say that <laughs> I do a particularly good job um, on that side of things. Um, that certainly is a, a weakness of my current setup, and it it works out well better than you would think in some ways because the because I have the benefit of all of my customers are coming from the app store. That as long as I put my effort and my energy into trying to have a good app store presence and to show up well there and to represent myself well there and to do things to make Apple like me so that maybe they'll feature me um, and those types of things. Um, I found that that's to be sufficient, um, which works out well versus if I was probably if I was even just a Mac developer and you kind of have to, you know, you're pulling people from so many different sources. I could see it being much requiring more effort on the marketing side or social media and things. And um, like, I don't do very much of anything outside of the app store. And maybe if I did, it could grow my business. But at the same time, like I will, I kind of don't want my, in some ways I wouldn't actually want my business to grow too, too much, too, too broad in some ways. Cause it needs to be something that I can maintain myself because you know i really don't want to have a, a staff that i need to manage and have like a team of developers and like build a company it was never my goal i just like enjoy the i enjoy making things and want to be able to keep doing that so the, a lot of that stuff i just kind of do well that makes sense and, and we are going to talk about some of your favorite mac and ios apps because this is mac power users but there, there's one other side of this kind of home business or home-based business that i wanted to talk to you about and and that's the way, because you have kind of a novel approach about how you work at home. You want to share that a little, share a little bit of that with us? Um, Sure. I'm not sure exactly which part you're talking about, but so I want, some of the things that I do a bit that are a bit interesting is I found that, so I work from home and, but I keep office hours. Um, So I work essentially nine to five every day. Um, and I ended up on that pattern after many, like my early years were much less disciplined, much less focused. And I would kind of, you know, I would work and not work or I work in the evenings and like, it would be much more fluid. And I found that, um, a, especially once we, uh, my wife and I had children that just doesn't work that, um, that there's a certain, 
do, you know, in order for it to be a sustainable thing that we needed to have, be able to kind of have clear expectations for, you know, when I'm at work, I'm at work for, you know, which is a lot, which allows me to, when I'm at work and being at home, if things are being complicated with a toddler or whatever, like sometimes that's just going to happen. And it's, it gives me the permission just to say, my focus right now needs to be work. We've, this is what we're doing. And like, I can, you know, feel good about that. And this on the flip side, like five o'clock rolls around, I turn off my computer, I go upstairs and I'm done working. Um, and we've, my wife and I have found that that pattern of having really clear lines that are only sort of every, like the, the, if I'm working outside of those hours, it's because something very significant and unexpected happened. Um, or it's a one-off thing. You know I mean? In some ways it's like recording right now, um, this podcast, like it's work, but I do something like this once a year and so it's fine. But otherwise I have very clear lines between that and that has worked tremendously better for us. Um, and I think from a mental health perspective has helped me a lot because um, I think being self-employed, you always have this feeling of you could always be doing more. Um, and it's really hard to sort of, I found it was so hard to turn off and to let myself not be working all the time. And having like the only way that I was really ever, ever able to work out a system that really let me leave work at work, which was one of the things that I, like I loved about having an office job where like I would go to work, I would, you know, work all day. I would, at whatever time I was done, I would leave and I wouldn't think about it again until the next day for the most part. Like that was lovely. And the only way that I was able to replicate that at home was to have strict sort of strict hours with myself. I have a place in the house that I go to work. Um, we, we've set up our house specifically so that like I work in the basement and we have nothing else really in the basement, um, that's down here. So like my kids aren't playing outside of my door. There's nothing to sort of pull me out or to pull them in. Um, and I found that to work, uh, work really well. And, you know, I've been doing the, taking that approach for probably four or five years now. And, you know, it's, it's been very, very much more successful than any of the thing else uh, I've tried. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password, the premier password solution for the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. Go to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps to get 20% off. If you're listening to the Mac Power Users, then you understand and appreciate the importance of good passwords. The internet is increasingly a scary place, and there's a lot of people out there trying to hack your individual data. Setting up strong individual passwords for each of the websites you log in is the best way to defend yourself. And our sponsor, 1Password, is right at your back for this problem. 1Password is really a security app. It helps you create strong, secure passwords that are unique for every website you log into. Using the same password more than one is really super dangerous because if the bad guys get your password in one place, they've got it in all the other places too. That's why 1Password is so great. It makes really secure passwords, but at the same time, it's really easy to use and convenient. It lets you have your cake and eat it too. They've got plans you can use in your workplace or even with your family to make sure your spouse and kids are using 1Password too. That's what I do. But best of all, they just solved the security problem for you. Now, there's a lot more you can do with 1Password, and we'll talk about that in other ad spots. But the thing I want to focus on today is getting 1Password to set up those safe and secure passwords across the Internet for you. 
And if you're already a believer, we're heading into holidays. So you're going to spend some time with family. Uh, if they start making you crazy, don't let that bother you. Instead, sit them down and help them solve their password problems. Hook them up with one password. I do this every year. I hook up another relative with one password. And uh, it doesn't matter how technically savvy they are because the application is super easy to use. And they are always super thankful to me afterwards. So just think about it. If you take really good care of somebody on Thanksgiving, then on Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate, they're going to have a really good gift for you because they're going to be so happy about you helping them solve their password problem. So to learn more, head over to OnePassword.com and go to OnePassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get yourself 20% off. Tame your password problem today with OnePassword. Okay, David, um, let's take a minute to talk about apps. <laughs> you spend all this time working at your Mac and uh, and some time on iOS every day. Uh, what are the apps that get you excited? You know, aside from, you know, Excel and Xcode, the stuff you use to make money with. Um, I mean, the apps that I probably enjoy using most outside of work on the Mac are, it's probably Lightroom. Um, like, I, I love taking pictures and, um, and as soon as you have kids, you end up, having way more pictures than um, you could ever reasonably manage without a software assistance. And so I use Lightroom for that. And um, I really enjoy using that. Um, that's a great, it's just a, a really, it's one of those tools that were, it's structured the way my brain's structured for how I think about photo management and kind of doing things there. And so I, that's a, a tool that I use that's not related to work. Now, are you a, a lifetime Lightroom user, or are you an Aperture refugee? I mean, how did you find yourself using Lightroom? I've used Lightroom since it was a beta, I believe. Um, like, way back in the... I don't even remember how long ago that was. But it was a very... I've used it since since it was a, 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 since it was a thing that existed. Um, I've, I've used it, and... It's. I've just gotten very, very comfortable and competent in it. I've tried. I tried Aperture back in the day, and I sometimes try photos um, on the Mac or iPhoto or um, the other types of tools like that. And it's never. They've never clicked for me in the way that that Lightroom did does, and it. It's just. It, it's where I feel at home, and the way that I understand photos, and um, and honestly, at this point, it's a, it's the tool where. We've developed, my wife and I have developed like workflows and patterns for how to just deal with the fact that we each have a phone. We have a couple of like nicer cameras or dedicated cameras that we use in the home. And like we need somewhere and some method for taking all of these pictures. You know, it's like we were, you know, I think last year was in the probably the 20, 20 thousands of pictures we wow. ended up That's a lot with, of pictures <laughs> at the end of the year or something. Like, um, just. And the only way we can manage it is to use a tool like Lightroom, where there's lots of tools for flagging and for management and for quickly going through and, you know, like keep allowing us to very quickly go through and flag the ones that are actually good and they're actually worthwhile. And we can export photos to websites, which we do like a lot of times we'll go on a vacation, we'll make a little website that I just like published, you know, uh, for our family and things. So, cause it gets away a lot around a lot of the, you know, otherwise, it's like, oh, should we put this on iCloud, you know, photo library or Facebook or like, there's so many tools, but none of them work great for everybody. But if I can just send, you know, email everybody a URL with a nice, you know, with a nice little gallery of, you know, our family vacation this year. It's very agnostic. No matter what platform you're on, you have a browser. Yeah. And like I have the benefit of, you know, I 
manage dozens of servers for all my work stuff. And so it's easy for me to just have a, you know, an FTP folder somewhere that I can put something that has a, a web facing URL. I'm super curious about like what Adobe's future is because for so long they just made the best stuff for managing photos, but I'm not sure that's really true anymore. There's a lot of third-party apps out there that are pretty powerful. And um, there's the group of people that have kind of grown up using Adobe, so they're going to keep using Adobe. But at the same time, um, there's a lot more economical or even just different business model type software out there that that folks are looking at. I'm just super interested to see how this all plays out over the next five years. Yeah, I mean, I... I w- I'd be curious to see how many generations into the future they survive well in. Um, like I think pictures, especially something like Lightroom, like, I don't know. It, like it, it, it makes sense to me because I'm coming from a background where like prints was, that was my world. And I like would have to organize, like I'd go and go on vacation, take a bunch of pictures and then I'd have to like, print them all out and organize them. Um, and Lightroom is sort of in many ways based on that same kind of a model. Whereas I could certainly imagine, yeah, you have something, a more modern approach is probably like a Google photos thing where you, it just sort of learns about you and is able to answer questions later. If you have quite, if you're like, huh, can you find me that picture from when I went to that place at that time? And like, it'll just work it out and find it for you rather than having like a system where I can, you know, I can go upstairs and look on my, in my Lightroom catalog and find, you know, pictures very quickly. Like I can do that search index myself because I've built a system and a f- structure and a workflow over the years for doing that. But it, it may not be the kind of thing that would translate well into the future. Yeah. It's like my parents, they would buy a roll of film and then you'd get it developed and you'd see pictures from Easter and pictures from Thanksgiving and maybe Christmas would get its own role. And so it was a very manageable thing, but now an important tool for photo software is not necessarily uh, amending or editing photos as much as it, it is digging out the best photos for you, you know, and that's, that's really a thing. Now, if you're taking 20,000 pictures a year, you want to see the best ones and you don't want to do that manually. It's, it's, it's an interesting time. The other piece of it that's interesting to me is that I feel like, I'm not sure how much bigger the file sizes are going to get. And I know as I say that it's going to be dated in a year or two, but it seems to me like the megapixels are, you don't, how many more do we really need? And, you know, if you start getting file sizes that are more manageable as the, as the hardware and and the uh, drive capacities increase, it might be something that gets a lot more democratized. If that makes any sense. Oh, sure. I mean, if anything, file sizes are getting smaller now. Um, with like the new codecs and uh, compression schemes and things that, uh, like, it 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 we've seen it does seem like we've hit a point where, um, like that side of things is is getting the story is getting better rather than for for a while it was you know sort of getting worse and worse and you know had to keep getting bigger hard drives or running out of space and things whereas the the stories for those are is getting a lot better now. But then you read articles about 3D photos where they're going to have multiple layers and suddenly file sizes are going to shoot up again. Um, so so you do you use the Adobe stuff through? I mean, you probably use Lightroom and then Photoshop and the whole Adobe workflow for your stuff. Yeah, and that's that's where I do all my stuff. And I mean, if on the photo side, it's all Lightroom. And then Photoshop, I use for work primarily. Like every now and then I'll 
go in and, and use it on a personal thing, but usually that's only if I'm like making a giant print of something or, um, you know, really, really have a picture that I need to spend some time on. What else do you do on your computer for fun? Um, not actually that I wouldn't actually say all that much. Like yeah. I, you spend so much time working on it. I would imagine you want to go play with the kids at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think too, that's one of the benefits of, um, having my main computer, not be a laptop that, uh, like the, like the 12 inch MacBook's great, but it's also not comfortable to use for long periods of time and like has lots of limitations. And so it has a natural benefit of like pulling me off of it. Um, whereas, you know, if I had a 15 inch MacBook pro, I might be using my computer or be wanting to use it in more contexts or in places where maybe I shouldn't. And like, you know, I, I like that my main computer that's mine is downstairs in the basement and it's very clear and obvious that I'm, I'm, you know, if, if I'm using it, I'm not with the family. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling, I'm very, I'm, I've chosen to pull myself away. And so that tends to, that tends to help a lot for, um, for just, you know, sort of keeping, keeping a good balance there. So I don't actually, I wouldn't say actually I use that many other tools other than like, if I'm, if I'm working, I'm working. Otherwise it'll probably be something like Lightroom or maybe Final Cut Pro working on a, like a home video kind of thing. Um, like it tends to be that kind of personal media management is the other thing that I use a Mac for. Any menu bar apps that are key for you? Um, I use, uh, I set menus, um, for just, I, a, it's, I'm, I just enjoy having it. Um, like I just, there's something about me that I just, I love knowing that detail, but also, um, it's as a, because I do do things that tends to, um, m- like max out my computer. Um, it's u- actually useful sometimes to know if I am doing that or if something's unexpectedly maxing out my computer, making sure that I know that I'm, I'm aware of it. So having all those little, um, having all those little menus in the top there is, is very useful. Um, I'm trying to think of other apps that I always have on my computers. Um, I have, um, there's an app called caffeine, which is, has, it has a terrible non retina icon, but I've never found anything that works quite the way that it does, which is just an app for disabling all of the screensaver, uh, display dimming, all that kind of stuff. And uh, like I can turn it on and off from the menu bar. Oh, I'm going to help you out. Have you looked at amphetamine? I don't think I have. Check it out as as a replacement to caffeine. It's like caffeine on steroids. It's an amphetamine, yeah. Yeah, okay. they they even have the uh, the little coffee cup icon for the menu bar. It's not as cute as the caffeine coffee cup icon, but they have a coffee cup icon, and it will let you do a lot of things, including activate and deactivate, just like caffeine does. You can use it just like caffeine if you want, but you can also set up rules and other things. So it's like caffeine on steroids. That's that's the name. Yeah, I'll check that out because yeah, but it's like I, I tend to find a couple of tools like that where there you build a muscle memory for it, and like when once you have that, it's so hard to it's so hard it's so hard to break that kind of a pattern. Yeah, I mean, app development is such a focused thing. I mean, and Apple really went all in with building the developer tools. I mean, if you're making something for iOS, you're using Xcode and Xcode has text replacement and it has like all the things that people normally use to upgrade um, other types of work. A lot of it's just built into Xcode. Are you, are you happy with the state of Xcode as it stands? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, it's, it is a kind of bit of a sprawling tool, but I, I, 
I, I know where its problems are and I know how to work around them. And so I'm pretty happy and comfortable with it. And I mean, every, every summer it gets a little bit complicated because there's a new version of it that is sometimes buggy or has, has issues. But, you know, by and large, those tend to get ironed out by the fall. And then, you know, I, I like the way it works. It's gotten a lot better over the last few years. It seems like it's, it's not, it's, it's, you'd think it's the kind of tool that at a certain point would plateau out and would kind of just stay the same, but it's kind of impressive that Apple has found ways to keep driving it forward and making it, you know, better and better and more capable or clearer um, or have, you know, be more just useful um, in a lot of different ways. David, kind of a note that I maybe want to close this on is I want to ask you, what are you excited about right now? There's a lot going on in the Apple world. We had a very big WWDC. Apple had a lot of September announcements as we record this or as this releases. Um, the iPhone 10 will just be getting into hands of, of the early adopters who woke up in the wee early hours of the morning to order it. Um, we've still got the HomePods. We've got the iMac Pros on the horizon. We've got Mac Pros on the horizon. Yeah, you were always on the cutting edge of of these things. And what excites you? So I think the thing that excites me, and I'm I'm in have been enjoying the most recently. I really like Apple's push into health and fitness, and certainly that is where I spend most of my time on the on my work now. Like my main apps right now are all geared around that, and as a result, a lot of it's on the Apple Watch. But um, even outside of my work, like it is like the the things that Apple is doing that have the biggest impact on my life and my sort of well-being generally are all of the things they do with health and fitness. And, you know, I would be kind of lost without my Apple Watch now. And I really like that they're making that a priority and am enjoying kind of following that and kind of buying into their their ecosystem and their approach to, to health and fitness that I think like the health app um, on iOS is tremendously, it, the things that that can do and what the applications that it's allowed are just kind of amazing and phenomenal. And this kind of the stories you hear from it. And um, one of the benefits I have of you know, doing apps in that kind of side of things that I'll, you know, I get people who email me specifically talking about how my app has helped them overcome some truly tremendous and significant like life situations um, you know, by has improved their health, allowed them to overcome illness or all kinds of these situations. And I think that's something that is just exciting in a way that as much as I like to geek out about, you know, whatever the new hardware is going to be or what an, you know, what an iMac pro might be like, or what the new iPhone is like those things. I am aware of how just that's like a, a treadmill. That's this sort of this cycle that just never ends that there'll always be, a next, there'll always be a next computer or there'll always be a next iPhone. Um, and that's fun and exciting and I really enjoy it, but it's really whenever I, and whenever I think about and, and get and have the privilege of working in Apple's focus on health and fitness, it's, it's so wonderful to get a sense of where technology is really, you know, changing and improving people's lives in a tangible way. And like that for me is just so exciting um, to see a company like Apple, which I love their, you know, sort of the way they approach it with privacy and with the way they have their respect for users, like that side of things applied to something like health and fitness is just super exciting. And I can't wait to see sort of where they keep going because it definitely seems like it's a focus for them. And so, you know, 
every year we're getting more and more capabilities and more use cases and you know things that are being enabled by that. Yeah, well, it seems they definitely have their foot on the gas on that issue. So you're going to see new things, I expect. And I expect we're going to see some more awesome plus plus apps as they do. Oh, sure. Nope. That is, uh, I, it, it's, I expect to just keep any, anything that they, they add that I will, that, that I can, I tend to take advantage of. And, um, I love, I, I love making the, the, that kind of app. And it's, it, uh, what I love too is that I use, that I make, it's making apps that I use on a regular basis. You know, I, when I work out, I use my workout app. When I go for a walk, I count my steps in my step counting app. When I sleep, I track it in my sleep tracker. Like it's kind of fun to have, um, apps that I can work on that, you know, that, 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 that interact with my life so personally. And so every time, yeah, Apple adds new capabilities, I'll be making apps to, to track them myself. Awesome. Well, David, tell people where they can keep up with what you're doing. Are you online or on Twitter and where can they find you? Uh, I mean, mostly uh, I'm probably the best place is if you just go to david-smith.org. Um, there's my website that has links to, I have a blog there and my apps. Uh, I'm on Twitter at underscore David Smith, but uh, I'm not particularly active there. Um, and then, you know, from my website, if you wanted to check out my apps, then there's an apps page there and you can go and look in the app store um, to see all the different things that I've made over the years. And you do have a couple of podcasts of your own that we haven't talked about yet. Um, yes, as well. I have uh, Under the Radar, which is here on Relays, uh, Relay FM slash Radar, which is a, a weekly show I do with Marco Arment, never longer than 30 minutes that uh, we talk about being independent iOS developers, um, kind of both on a technical level and a business level and an emotional level. Like it, uh, we, we rang, sort of run the gambit there. And I used to, before I did that show, I did a show called Under, uh, Developing Perspective, which the archives are still available at developingperspective.com, which was a more personal view of the journey for me from, I think it was about two, 2011 to about two years ago of on a weekly basis, what it was like going through, you know, the early days of the app store and the experiences and the ups and the downs of that. So it's kind of like, I'm glad that it exists almost just as a piece of history for, you know, to capture what that was like. Your therapy. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what it was every week. I would just sit down and, and sort of just be able to rant for, uh, that one, that show was never 15, never longer than 15 minutes. So, um, they would just had 15, these little 15 minute therapy sessions every week. All right. And um, so go to david-smith.org, gang. All the apps are there. They're great apps. And if you're interested in any of the stuff we've talked about, uh, you can learn more about what David's up to and also get his apps. They're they're fun. Uh, we're the Mac Power Users. You can find us on Twitter at Mac Power Users. Katie is at Katie Floyd. I'm at Max Sparky. And you can find our show at relay.fm slash mpu. Uh, this is episode 403, so MPU-403, and we'll have a bunch of show notes in there and lots of good information. Thanks to our sponsors today, Smile, Gazelle, Fracture, and 1Password, and we'll see you all next week. Music.